Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. We're in a little bit of a waiting period. Kenobi has come to an end. Andor is about two months away. It's going to launch on my birthday, a great birthday present. And in the meantime, we're going to do some fun episodes looking back at things. And today... Paul and I are going to talk about why it is that we love Star Wars animation so much. What is it about animation that proves a really good way to tell the Star Wars story? And what are some of our favorite moments from our favorite shows? All that more after a commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And I am Paul. You're totally not a guest host. I also <laughs> lightly prefer they, them pronouns. So I actually had a funny moment. I recently recorded an episode of Superhero Ethics. That's also Marvel Movie Minute because it's done in partnership with Andy from there. And I referenced how I had been a guest on the Marvel Movie Minute season of Thor. And he got very <laughs> upset. I was like, no, you were a co-host. So <laughs> apparently the avoidance yes. of co-hosting duties is a, is, a, is a thing. So you have often said that the Star Wars animation is some of your favorite Star Wars, and that animation is in many ways, you think, one of your favorite ways to tell Star Wars stories. So let's just kind of jump right into the topic. What is it you like so much about animation as as a means of telling the Star Wars story? Well, I think the Star Wars movies originally were done with a lot of practical effects, right? Right. It was this really big vision to make these bombastic movies that had... You know, all sorts of aliens and spaceships fighting and, you know, lightsabers and all these things that were really hard to film. And, you know, given the technology that was available in the the late 70s and then early 80s, I, you know, they did a phenomenal job of that. Right. And then as time went on, the movies, you know, continued to try and push the envelope. I think sometimes... In effective ways and sometimes in somewhat awkward ways, right? But Mm -hmm. the thing about animation is that you can just put whatever you want on the screen. Um, And and granted, actually, I I don't think the Clone Wars or, for that matter, Rebels overall have the highest quality animation compared to Mm -hmm. some, some other animation that I enjoy. But... For me, Certainly the first couple seasons of Clone Wars are pretty rough. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's all this like very kind of computer-based animation, right? It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not all hand-drawn and whatever. Um, there are things that I think are really beautiful about it. Even in some of the early Clone Wars, I think uh, the settings really come to life. Yeah. And you can have these settings that are very extreme and very visual in a non-Earth way. And that's just animation and then the characters are animation and everything goes together very naturally whereas mm-hmm. when when anything sci-fi or fantasy or or you know space opera is done in live action there's always going to be a little bit of the well here's the humans that look like humans and then here's everything else that is like not of this world and it's some right. combination of effects and makeup and no matter how great of a job you can do of it There's always, to me, there's like a little, um, there's just a little kind of awkwardness there sometimes, right? And when I really, really love the subject matter, it doesn't bother me so much, but it still Mm -hmm. can kind of 
kind of pull me out of it a little bit. Sometimes, right? Not always. Yeah. Um, I never feel that with animation, right? That's one thing that I love about animation in general mm-hmm. is like in order to start watching it and enjoying it, like you have to immediately buy in right at the beginning. It's like, yeah. these are drawings, right? There's no um, illusion there. Um, and so everything I think then feels like it's consistent within that paradigm as, as long as it's, yeah. you know, well done enough. I think that's a really good point. I definitely think, especially the prequels, kind of suffered from too much CGI. Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who, like, you know, I recently did a conversation about Thor Love and Thunder, a movie that I quite enjoyed. But I said to my partner, I think about 80% of this was shot on a green screen. You right. know, like, it just, the over CGI of stuff is happening all over, not just in Star Wars. And yeah, when I rewatch, like, Return of the Jedi, I love that movie still. The rancor effects have oh, not held up very for well. For sure, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but but that's the thing is the fact that animation like it it lo- it doesn't lower the bar, but it kind of equalizes everything. Yeah, it levels everything. And I think I, you you had to kind of drag me a little bit to get me to watch the Clone Wars. And I think one of the biggest reasons that was holding me back was I just felt like I was never going to believe a drawing of Obi-Wan Kenobi was the Obi-Wan Kenobi of Alec Guinness. Right. And, or even Ewan McGregor. And I was so proven wrong on that. And to me, that's one of the most brilliant things about the way the animation has worked is that, like, there are times when I, I, the the two work so seamlessly to me, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of how well they captured I think kind of that feel of the original movies where it did like, cause the, you know, the cantina scene, like it does feel like those, those don't look like effects. They look just like other people in this cantina. Yeah. And the, the, the animation I think really kind of captures that. I think the thing that I really love about the animation is that, and this is something you and I talk about a lot, is that one of the problems with these big expanded universes is, well, you'll get this moment where a person who's not, you know, their name isn't in the title of the show, should show up for this episode, but they're not going to pay that actor who gets huge amounts of money to show up for this one episode. Or, what? you know, that that's an oversimplification, sure, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean. All right. the reasons why they're not going to have this character show up here. The Clone Wars especially, Rebels somewhat, but the Clone Wars especially, is I think the biggest ensemble of an ensemble show I've ever seen. Just off the top of my head, I can think of at least 30 characters who who not only appear in multiple episodes, but appear in multiple episodes across multiple seasons. You know, you've got so many Jedi, so many droids, so many clones, so many different, like, scum and villainy people. I don't think you could ever possibly do a live-action show like that, where you could have, you know, oh, hey, the actor who plays, you know, Kai Mundi is going to show up two or three episodes a season, but we're always going to get him. We're always going to be able to get the, the the whoever it is we need for this particular episode. With voice actors, that's just so much easier. Um, and I think you and I had the same discussion about the Justice League, the animated show, and why that'd be a lot harder to do. And I think that's something that... I never really realized until I saw The Clone Wars, and then I started getting more frustrated with these other shows that didn't have all those actors bouncing back and forth. And it's just, when you want to tell that kind of galaxy-wide story with all these different characters, all of which have their growth and their development, I just don't think you can do that in live action without getting 50 people to sign away the next 10 years of their life. Which MCU is probably going to try and do, but like, you know. Yeah, like I'm thinking of like Game of Thrones or something that did have a massive ensemble cast, right? But, right. Um, 
Didn't they? They actually recast at least one or two characters midway, right? Yeah, I, they recast a couple actors and they all characters, and they also said a couple times that they like used this character for the plot point because the original character was like, "No, I I did two seasons four years ago. I'm done." You know? Right. Yeah, and and that um, I mean, like in Harry Potter, they recast Dumbledore because the actor died, right? Right. Whereas in you know, in the they also recast uh, Lavender because they didn't want Ron dancing with a black girl, which is a, well, a whole yeah, other so thing. That's, but that's, yes. that's a whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but like in in um, in animation, you know, you can, I mean, in Avatar: The Last Airbender, Mako, who voiced um, Uncle Iroh, died. Right, and you know, the, I don't. They, maybe they used him less in season three because of that. I'm not sure, but. Mm-hmm. They definitely, you know, they they got someone to impersonate him, and it's like it's a lot easier, I think, to accept yeah. like someone's voice. Like voice actors can imitate other voice actors, right? That's like that's right. part of the skill, right? And yeah. um, in uh, in Clone Wars, uh, they had I think three different actors played Palpatine over the course of the, wow. se- the seven yeah. seasons, right? Exactly, and so you know, I I think there's an extent to which you're more kind of seamlessly replaceable. In, right. in something like animation, right? And then it also just, there's not the same time commitment where, you know, it's it's doing, I, I haven't done any professional voice acting, right? But I mean, I'm I'm aware of the, uh, the amount of time. I mean, you just look at the credits pages of voice actors and you're like, yeah. somebody could not get that many credits, like physically in a lifetime as a, as yeah. a meat puppet, you know, as, <laughs> as, a, as a physical actor. So it's, it, like it I think really... Bradley Baker, the guy who yes. voices the Clone Wars, he pro- he did not do like he wasn't doing ten other projects besides Clone Wars because he was playing. I, I think he's got a total of like fifty different named clones to his resume. It, it's like... something ridiculous, yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. What what years was it? was there overlap between that and Avatar: The Last Airbender, or Clone Wars started right after it ended? I think Clone Wars started after Avatar ended, but I'm okay, not sure. Yeah, because uh, Dave Filoni did did both. Um, Mm. And, but yeah, um, and as did D. Bradley Baker. Um, yeah. But D, I couldn't. I thought it was F, for some reason. I thought it was F. Bradley Baker. That's why I just said Bradley Baker. Right. Yes, yeah, D. Yeah, Bradley yeah. Baker. Yeah, Thank Bradley. you. Um, and and so it it really does. That's one of the things I love about Clone Wars specifically is that it tells so many different stories within this massive setting. Over a relatively short time span, right? It's supposedly three years in universe, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like seven seasons, which, you know, the seventh right. season was a little while later, but it doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't feel like there were a lot of compromises in terms of, oh, well, we'd love to tell this story, but we just don't know how to do it. It feels. Right. You, you couldn't have an actress play teenage Ahsoka for seven years. She would. Right. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> having covered Stranger Things recently, you yep. know, <laughs> we are intimately familiar with the like, oh, that that person doesn't look like what I think their character is supposed to look like at this point. Um, whereas, you know, you just age them up exactly how much you want in animation. Right. right? And, you know, and then the, the voice actors can change the voice accordingly, however they choose mm-hmm. to. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think animation... And this, you know, this was all, this was before The Mandalorian. I think it showed also how much a setting like Star Wars can really be explored on another level in a series, 
right? Yeah. That's not a series of movies. It's not a series of blockbusters. It's a series of episodes. And, you know, they're short episodes, but you string two, three, four, five together if you want, and you get mm -hmm. a pretty good arc, right? You get a mini movie, but you don't have to, like, come back to this or that. And granted, The Clone Wars was a little all over the place at times in terms of, like, the sequence of storytelling. And I think mm -hmm. some people would say that's a little bit to its detriment. Fine. Um, but... I, I think there's just you get so much opportunity and there's just there's never a story that you have to say no to because of logistics. Right. right. You just decide what stories you want to tell and then you get to tell those stories. And I just think that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because in some ways I think I think I prefer Rebels to Clone Wars in part because it is a more tight story about a small mm -hmm. group of people but I love that Clone Wars exists, and I feel like so much... Uh, I think Clone Wars added more to my understanding of the Star Wars universe and the characters in it than I think any other property. Because it is just this, like, galaxy-wide show over seven seasons that explores so much. You know, all these different clone interactions, all the stuff about the Jedi, all the stuff about the Sith and, and the non-Sith Dark Side right. Force users, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, there's yeah. just a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other reason why I was nervous about getting too into uh, Clone Wars uh, and then all the animation in general was kind of the same reason I was nervous about getting into the books for a while. I, I didn't want to go into, uh, you know, uh, a dead end. Like, right. I didn't want to get really invested in a part of the universe that was never going to show up in any other part of the universe. Oh, okay. The fact that now, especially with the Disney Plus shows, you know, Bo-Katan is now a live-action character being played by the person who was her voice actress. Yeah. Um, Ahsoka is a live-action character being played by someone different, and that's fine, too. Yeah. You know, a, uh, a lot of these live... A lot of the characters and storylines from these animated shows have crossed over into live-action. And I just... To me, that makes it feel so much more of a, like... Yeah, we're not saying, like, live-action better and Clone Wars is kind of the red-headed stepchild of, of all this. It's just... Animation is just a part of the universe. Yeah, exactly. They they integrated it in a way that, you know, something like the MCU never really did with Agents of Shield or the the Netflix MCU, right? right? They the, not so much that the movies themselves acknowledge its existence, but like the movies and then the TV shows, the TV shows definitely play off it. And I think there's a feeling that's like, oh, well, these are live action, so they're more real, but it's like, no, they they reference a lot of stuff in in a series. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. There is one more thing uh, in animation that I really enjoy that's uh, sure. much more personal. That is when you watch an animated show dubbed, you're doing the same thing as when you're watching an animated show that isn't dubbed because it was dubbed. Like, yeah. that's what animation is, right? It's like you're not dubbing over a physical actor. It doesn't have this kind of weird barrier. Like, I tried watching the Netflix MCU in you know, in Spanish or in German or Italian or mm -hmm. whatever. And I was like, nah, this this feels weird, you know, because I yeah. see the lips moving and something else is happening. Whereas with animation, they often have, I mean, Disney now has tons of languages for all of these, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really enjoy watching them in various languages as it, it's a way for me of kind of, I mean, first of all, kind of getting a different angle or a different feel on, right. you know, the the stories Right. And like, I feel like Imperial stuff sound really good in German, but like, yeah. you know, but I, 
Yeah. I think I remember, didn't you not realize that all the clones were done by the same voice actor in I, English because you hadn't seen it and you hadn't listened to it in English? I had no idea. I hadn't listened to it in <laughs> English for a long time. I basically turned it in um, onto English first when I think Darth Bane appears as voiced mm. by Mark Hamill. I was like, all right, I'll listen to Mark Hamill here. Yeah. And then I did hear more recently because, you know, my wife watched them in English and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is good in English too, you know. Yeah. Um, but it... Yeah, it definitely for me. It's like I feel like, well, I'm I'm kind of like expanding my mind and learning something and practicing something while enjoying animation, you know. So it's a way yeah. of kind of blending enjoyment with with learning something else, um, mm-hmm. and you know, but broader, just like that lends a lot of accessibility, right, worldwide yeah. to to speakers of many languages. I I also just think the technology of animation has gotten so much better. It, it, it's gotten both so much better, but also as people take it so much more seriously, people are putting so much more money into it. And I think, like, I don't think Clone Wars or Rebels were pioneers of that by any means. Most of that's coming out of anime and some other animated stuff. But, like, just as an example, you know, Paul and I have both talked about how much we love the lightsaber battle between Ahsoka and Maul in Clone Wars Season 7. While doing some research for this episode, I, I always wondered how they animated that so well. They actually had uh, Ray Park, who the person who originally played Darth Maul, and someone else doing a lightsaber battle in real life with motion capture, and then trans- transferred that to animation, which just blew my mind. You know, thinking about that, that that's kind of going the, the backwards way that you'd often think it going. Um, and I just love that we have that technology now, and I think it's a big part of what makes it work so well. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, Lauren Mary Kim. Who we, Lauren Mary Kim, thank you. I brought this up when we covered it originally, by the way. Oh, I'm sure you, I'm sure <laughs> but, you did. I'm sure you but did. But yeah, it's, it's, um, she's actually, I think she's the stunt double for uh, Miss Marvel. Oh, that's awesome. That's and awesome. I mean, she's done a ton of stuff. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, it is really, that, and that's such a great lightsaber battle, you know? Yeah, it's and fantastic. I think it manages to combine, you know, the, um, the physicality of you know humans like the way people really move or i mean i I, I guess they're not humans right but the the actors are but you know the way people move with um things that you can do in animation that would have had to be green screen right because they're like up on all sorts of different you know like to me buildings and stuff what i think it really stands out against what i think was maybe the worst lightsaber fight um, Yoda versus Palpatine in uh, episode three. Right, Where right. Yoda's just this bouncing ball with a lightsaber, you know, rocking all over the place. And it, just, it doesn't look like anything that makes sense in our own world. Yeah. I um, will say that I actually, on some level, enjoy the, the bouncing ball of lightsaber. <laughs> like, that's fair. I totally respect where you're coming from with it. And I, I understand, especially the sort of idea that, like, you know, one of Yoda's greatest lines is like, wars not make one great, you know? Yeah. And and so it kind of like flies in the face of that or bounces in the face of that. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like in the theater, the first time I saw light, you know, Yoda take out his lightsaber, it's like, oh, Yoda's taking out his lightsaber. <laughs> That's know? fair. That's but, totally fair. But I'm with you, like philosophically, <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. And um, specifically the one versus Palpatine and like Palpatine's like spinning in some sort of corkscrew. Ma- it's It's very weird looking. It, yeah, it, that, it, that it one, doesn't look yeah. like real people are doing it. Right, yeah, know? yeah. The Yoda vs. Dooku, I definitely thought was actually better. but I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I have my issues on it on the disability side, but right. that's a whole Right, yeah, other thing. And, and I respect that. I think that yeah. makes all the sense. 
So let's start talking about some of the individual shows. And what I, what I did was I kind of put together a list of some of my favorite moments. And I want so I want to go show by show, and we'll kind of talk about the overall show, and then um, what are some of our both of our favorite moments. First, we were going to do like what are our top ten, but it's so hard to rank yeah. these; they're all just great. Um, and I want to start with a show that we haven't mentioned yet that I my sense I was not a big fan of. My sense is that you were not a big fan of, um, or I, actually I don't even know if you've seen it. Uh, Star Wars Visions. Oh. Yeah, I watched like two episodes, and I, I just didn't really get into it. Yeah, um, it it's not so much just the show itself. I really love the idea of it, uh-huh. but I just didn't quite get into it. And I think just when it was coming out, I just was kind of like not in the mood to watch certain yeah. things. You know, that's fair. So Especially I might circle mo- back to it. But yeah, most of them don't really fit into the larger story. Uh, my friend Jonah, who's been on the podcast a bunch of times, and he does a wonderful podcast on the Star Wars Legends books called The Archives Are Incomplete. I strongly mm. recommend people checking it out. He he described the show as this is what people in the Star Wars universe would watch on TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that, that these were fictional stories as told by the, the people in that universe. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I, like you, I, I think the show is fantastic. That particular style of animation, I'm not much of an anime guy, so that mm. never really grabbed me. And I think because also it didn't fit into the universe, it didn't really grab me. Yeah. I want to go back and rewatch some of it, though. But there's one particular moment that I wanted to highlight because I love it so much. Uh, and it's in the first episode. Okay. So when you have I did seen watch that one, yeah. The duel. And it's basically like a samurai story, a ronin story. And it's all black and white except for the lightsabers, which is such a brilliant, like, a use of animation that's so great. But the particular moment that I liked was it is set up as these Sith have come to the village and the Sith are doing terrible things. And now here comes this Ronin who's going to be the, you know, the the cowboy, the wandering samurai, yeah. the one who comes to rescue the day, the Mandalorian. The man with no name. Pull, yeah, exactly. He pulls out his lightsaber and it's red. Yeah. And like he also is a, like he's clearly a hunter of the Sith, but he's also clearly like Sith himself or dark side or dark himself. Side. Like yeah, it's not... It's not clear, but it was so, like I literally gasped when he did that, you know, and I was like, oh, OK, this is about like inter Sith fighting. And like, yeah, maybe there's different perspectives and maybe this guy is trying to be a little bit more on the like up and up, but he's definitely not a Jedi. Right. Um, I, I just love that moment because it was such a fun way to like play with expectations and be like, no, what if the story isn't like good guy with blue lightsaber against bad guy with red lightsaber? Yeah, I, I love that moment too. Uh, that's that's kind of like that's the moment when the show could have sold me on mm-hmm. its premise, but then the episode, the next episode is just something completely different, which is like I love that idea of an anthology. Yeah. But I I mean I think I watched two episodes of Visions. I watched two episodes of What If. Like I just these for some reason I just haven't totally gotten into the anthologies. You know, yeah. even though I do really enjoy the idea of them. I almost feel like if it had come out, did it come out one a week or was... No, I was going to say, I, I think I, I liked What If a lot more until yeah. the last couple episodes. Right, right. I think it's because it came out once a week because binging it, it the it's jarring. But if you watch it once a week, it's like, oh, okay. It's kind of like, you know, Twilight Zone. It's going to be a new story every week. And right. that was a little easier to get into. Yeah, I think something that's... Um, an anthology of shorts basically makes more sense as a, yeah, watch one here and there compared to something that's like really just serialized fiction, one story. Um, this one reason that the Bad Batch being 
weekly didn't bother me, you know, because mm-hmm. it felt like each episode was really a different episode. Whereas these yeah. stories that it's basically, you know, six episodes, that's a four hour movie. Those feel to me like, well, I kind of just want to watch all that at once, you know, whereas yeah. something like Visions, I think I will circle back to it. And that moment is fantastic, you know, um, particularly because it's like the, you know, black and white with the red, you know, just mm-hmm. it, it pops so much. Um, there's a there's a moment that's similar to that and almost the opposite later um, mm-hmm. that I want to get to. But in but yeah, that that is a um, a really great moment, and I do feel like the I like that style of animation, you know. But it does it feels very un Star Wars in a lot of ways, you know. So I think yeah. it's the sort of thing that sometimes like if you pick it up and it doesn't quite resonate. Then like putting it down and picking it up again later, sometimes I think it can yeah. it can feel um, like click and, more. And that's why I like Jonah's idea a lot more. Like this is the fiction that would be written by people in the Star Wars mm-hmm, universe, you know? Because mm-hmm. then you don't you don't have to try and fit it into right. where it you know. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. All right, so I think that's the only thing. That's the only vision moment I had from Visions. Was there another moment you had from Visions you wanted to mention? Um, there's <laughs> the I think one of the other ones that I watched was there's like that band and it's this really weird story. But then the band, I think all their musical instruments are like guns and lightsabers or or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know that, that felt like very sort of like desperado to me a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And I I enjoyed that moment. Like at the, at that sort of the end of their, their show or they play like one Mm -hmm. song or something. Um, I I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, all right, so let's go into the Clone Wars. That's the one that comes next chronologically, and I think we're both going to have a couple of moments from this one. I, we've talked about the show a lot. I think kind of my overall wrap-up of it, though, is like I I love that the Clone Wars exists. It's a close second to Rebels for me, but I think I like Rebels a little more, mostly because I think there are some – there are very few bad episodes of Rebels, at least as I feel it, and there are Definitely a lot of clunkers in Clone Wars, and in part because there's just so many more episodes. It's seven seasons compared to, to four, and two of those four of Rebels are half seasons. Um, but I do feel like because of the, so I Clone Wars is not as consistent, but there are definitely some arcs that I really love, and I think honestly, season seven of the Clone Wars may be the best season of Star Wars television I've ever seen. Um, what, what's your kind of take on Clone Wars and where it fits and everything else? So, first of all, I, I we were going to make this list of, okay, by we were going to, I was like, hey, why don't we make a list of our 10 favorite blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't do the homework. Matthew did. I did. did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I literally have written down every minute of the last season on my yes. list of moments. <laughs> um, so, I feel like Rebels definitely gets the consistency award, right? Mm-hmm. There's a couple things they did that I really didn't like. That's not so much things that I think are bad as much as just things I really didn't like, right? Clone Wars has more things that I'm like, "Eh, you you probably could have done better with this. Um, But my favorite parts of Clone Wars, I think, are definitely better than, or or are, I like them more than any part of Rebels. There's like two main things in Rebels that I think are just like super, super top notch. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Before we get to the last season of Clone Wars, because I almost feel like that's its own thing, and there's like so many moments there, there's a couple of moments before that, most of them Anakin, and it's 
to me, like the reason that I wanted you to watch this series in the first place was because I felt like it did such a good job of actually showing Anakin go from, you know, this teenager who like, I guess he's already killed a bunch of Tuscans, you know, Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the women and the children too. Right. But like, he, you know, he's that guy in, in attack of the clones and to see his growth as a character and to see kind of where, you know, he's willing to bend, bend the rules, right. To blur Mm -hmm. the lines. And, um, you know, the first one when like Ahsoka gets kidnapped, I think Ahsoka's captured and he's trying to get information and like, you know, the, dude is like oh well you know a jedi can't make me do this and and he's sort of like you know he's like oh you can't make me with the jedi mind trick and he's sort of like well maybe i'll just force choke you you know (laughs) and yeah yeah i i i my my enjoyment of the third movie uh revenge of the sith increases significantly because of the clone wars Mm -hmm. because i think the clone wars does such a good job of a showing how um, how Anakin falls and showing how it dramatically goes, and and really both highlighting the problems with the Jedi in a way the movies kind of hinted at but never really got there, yeah. and showing that in many ways it's because Anakin wants to do the things that the Jedi won't let him do for dumb reasons, but it's that it's that kind of thing where it's like you know, uh, there's gonna be a weird metaphor, but I think it's actually really appropriate is like. When you don't give kids sex ed, they're going to look for it and often find it in the worst of places, you know, and like get into danger and stuff like that. Um, Not always, by any means, but it's like, you know, give people that information. I think Anakin's kind of similar. Like, no one else will take him seriously except Chancellor Palpatine. Right. And the show shows that so perfectly. And yeah, Yeah, I can get that. For sure. I think, uh, let's kind of go season by season with some of our favorite moments for it. Um, I'll also just say, in terms of what you were saying about Rebels and Clone Wars, my my top two moments were very close. One was from Rebels, one was from Clone mm-hmm. Wars. The one in Rebels is a little higher, but it's close. And frankly, they could be switched, and they're yeah. both about Ahsoka. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who is a Clone Wars character? Yeah. Um, but the first moment on my list, if we're going to go in through it, is from Clone Wars Season 2, Episode 13, Voyage of Temptation. And with a couple of these, it's like, this is one particular moment that really highlights a dynamic and a character arc that I love so much. And it's when Satine says, Senators, I presume you are acquainted with a collection of half-truths and hyperbole known as Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Obi-Wan says, Your Highness is too kind. Satine says, You're right, I am. <laughs> I love the Satine-Kenobi relationship so much, and I think it, it, it adds so much to his character in in ways that are just so heartbreaking and, like, the moment at the end where she dies in his arms and he said, you know, he's like in earlier, he says, like, I would have given it all up for you like that. That's powerful, too. But for some reason, this moment, it just like I like them wisecracking with each other. I love the way they flirt with each other. And it's it was just so a it's so nice to see that side of him. But also, and I said this before, so I'll be brief. I think that knowing that he came so close to, to leaving it all for Satine and sh- denied himself I think that's a big part of why he cannot bring himself to stop Anakin and Padme. And yeah, so, yeah I, that's that's definitely on my list of moments. I agree. Um, that moment didn't necessarily pop out to me. I, I haven't rewatched 
the entirety of Clone Wars for a while. I've seen pieces mm-hmm. here and there. Um, I watched it like six, seven years ago, something mostly, um, several times, but mm-hmm. in Spanish and then in German. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I find the Satine Obi-Wan dynamic um, fantastic and really the thing that makes Obi-Wan more of a character than yeah. really anything else, right? And it's it's not that he needs to have, you know, um, a, a potentially, you know, romantic relationship or flirtation, but it's it's something outside of the Jedi Order. It's something outside of, you know, his missions. It makes him right. not just someone who's doing specific things, fulfilling a role in the plot or being a mentor to Anakin or, or Luke later, right? It, it makes him somebody with, with his own, um, you know, desires and his own yeah. uh, motivations that aren't solely given to him by the Jedi Order. He gets to be the protagonist in a lot of stories in a way he never does in the movies. Yeah, exactly. I think it's something I really appreciate. Absolutely. And, and like, I wonder whether you ever get, like, an Obi-Wan live-action series if you don't have this Obi-Wan from, you know, the Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm yeah, not sure. I, I don't know if you do, but certainly I, I don't feel like I would have enjoyed Kenobi as much as I did. Granted, it's not my favorite, but still. Sure. And I also, I do think that Hayden Christensen's... Per- the the direction and the writing was much better, and that's probably a big part of it. I think Hayden Christensen was a much better Anakin, in part because he watched all of Clone Wars. And I think Matt Latner, how do you pronounce his last name? Latner. I think it's Latner. Yes. Yeah, Matt Latner, the voice actor of Anakin. I just the chemistry between him and Padme is so much better. Oh yeah. Than it ever was in the shows. It, it exists in the movies. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And again, like I just watched Natalie Portman in in a movie and was reminded, like, no, she's a really good actress. That's yeah. that's bad directing. Right. Um, so I have a related moment. Go for it. And it's actually an Anakin moment, but it's a Satine and Obi Wan. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where. Obi-Wan, I mean, so Satine is this pacifist, right? She's this pacifistic ruler of Mandalore, which is like, if you know anything about Mandalorians from The Mandalorian, you're like, wait, how does that work? It turns out not very well. But, um, I mean, you know, and not necessarily her fault, right? But yeah. some things happen. There's there's some goings on in the galaxy. She's there's trying to quickly watch. turn a very large ship. Right. <laughs> um, and so her and Obi-Wan are... On this ship, and somebody's holding them both hostage, basically. And it's like, I'm gonna, like, he's trying to escape or something. He's like, I'll shoot you if you stop me. He's like, who's gonna stop me? A pacifist and a Jedi who's never gonna, you know, like, kill someone in cold blood. And they just see a lightsaber pop out through the back of him. And then he slumps down, and it's Anakin. And Anakin just has this expression like, what? (laughs) You know, sort of like, hey, how's it going? And, 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 this sounds over the top. It's not. It's subtle, but it's so perfect for just we get like three bars of mm-hmm. the dark side theme when that happens. Yeah. And it's yeah, moments like that to me are such good parts of the Anakin's fall story. That and that moment I, I probably have like two or three that are honorable mentions. That moment was definitely one of them. Yeah, and do you remember and, what episode that's from? Um I don't. It's it it has to be somewhere in that same time though, right? Yeah, season it's in two. season two because yeah. it's that arc with. Well, actually, no, I think the Satine arc goes over a couple seasons. But it yeah, we'll, does. we'll we'll try and look all these up and and put them into the show notes. Oh yeah, show notes, show notes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it those things though. The reason I think they're so effective is it's not like oh Anakin's kind of slipping and doing a bad thing. It's like I'm I might have done that. 
you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe you feel like someone should have killed this guy at that point. Maybe it shouldn't be a space cop. There's, there's all sorts of ramifications, whatever. Like if you can peaceably subdue someone, which if you have the force, it feels like you should be able to do these things better. But like, you know, I mean, we did have a moment where Obi-Wan doesn't kill someone in his own show. Right. That might be seen as problematical. So yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So it's, the point is that like, there are things where he's willing to do something that other people aren't willing to do. And it's mm-hmm. an act that is, you know, either seen as questionable or is questionable, but in context where it's very understandable, right? It doesn't right. feel contrived. It doesn't feel ridiculous. It feels like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So the next moment I had, I think since I have a firm list, I'm going to kind of go mm-hmm. through my moments, but you, you can do jump it. in. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in three and four, but you know that made my list. But in season five, and again, this is a – it's my favorite quote from a character who is just, I think, after Ahsoka, the best character that I think was introduced in the animated shows and that I really want to see live action. Um, and it's in season five, and Darth Maul says to a group of scum and villainy, Filth, you will pay for your insolence. And Hondo Anaka, the Jack Sparrow of the Star Wars universe, says, Insolence? We are pirates! We don't even know what that means! <laughs> I just, I love Hondo Anaka so much. He's and so he's good. like, I think in some ways, him and Cad Bane are perfect foils for each other because, yeah. like, one is like basically a black hat out of a cowboy movie. I mean, literally, he's got that hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just such a good, like, intimidating villain who has no powers. He's just badass. And then Hanu Inaka, who, like I said, I think he's the Jack Sparrow, you know, without quite the sex appeal, except to some of us. I mean, whatever uh, you're into, but. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of my co-hosts who will be unnamed. Uh, not not you. Um, but I, I just mean I'm referring to someone who's been on record that uh, yeah, yeah. this is yeah, husband number you. two. I, I just, yeah, Hondo is one of my he brings an art of le- he brings an era of levity. He brings this idea of like, yes, he always wants to come out on top, but he also loves the game. Yeah, like there. One of the other quotes I could have used is one where Ezra double crosses him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you double crossed me! I'm so proud!" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just such a good character. He, so yeah, I, that that that's my uh uh, uh yeah so, yeah. So that's my number five. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's so many great Hondo moments. That's that's one of them for sure. Um, and I think he's another example of like a character who was introduced in the Clone Wars, right? As far as I know, created for the Clone mm-hmm. Wars, and then ended up being a really significant and highlight part of Rebels, right? Yeah. Where there's a bunch of good moments um, in in the Clone Wars. And, you know, he starts out primarily as an antagonist, and then sometimes he's... I guess he's mostly an antagonist, right? They're not working with him that much in the Clone Wars as more rebels. He's, um... I wonder, Paul, if there's a term for this. He's an antagonist... No, actually, no, this wouldn't count. Uh, he, he... I'll cut that out. He's an Yeah, he's an antagonist who most of the time winds up being the kind of, like, grudgingly helping our heroes. Right. Or our heroes are grudgingly helping him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... And so I, I think, the, you know, the whole scum and villainy side, I think, in uh, it obviously becomes a big deal in Rebels as well. But in in um, 
in Clone Wars, they just flesh it out a lot more yeah. than I think it, it had been. It, it, was, it was something that you got the flavor of in, mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars and a little bit um, in Return of the Jedi and then a little bit in the prequels. But not a ton, right? And I mean, maybe a little in Rogue One, also, right? Yeah. But, but the the Clone Wars really, I mean, you you have little kid Boba Fett too, right? Mm-hmm. Working with various different bounty hunters, and um, and you get yeah, Rosin, the sin. You get uh, uh, the the reptilian, the uh, Tar- Tardashian, I think it's not um, Tar- Tardoshan. What the Tar- hell is that race called? Tardoshan. But the <clears throat> the reptilian guy Bosch, who's the yeah. uh, reptile bounty hunter, who became a little fan favorite. Like all he did, growl. But yeah, he becomes a regular character. There's so much of the scum and villainy in Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that we didn't actually talk about with Clone Wars, but that I think is important, is I think it is one of the best prequels that I've ever seen. In terms of it adds a lot to what comes after it. It builds on what came before it. But it very rarely contradicts or creates conflicts with things that came before it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ahsoka, I think, being the one, like, you know, why does Anakin never mention Ahsoka during Revenge of the Sith? But that's right. that's a different story. And there's one moment that, for me, is just a perfect moment of this is how a prequel should add to the story, but in a way that ties up the loose ends that you never wonder why it isn't. And it's... um. Clone Wars Season 6, Episode 4, Orders, The Death of Fives. And it's, Fives is this character, he's a clone, but he's the one who figures out that there's a chip in their heads, in part because of the death of another clone, and he's investigating it, and it's, it's very much like a, like a spy thriller, where you just, you know it's going to have this tragic ending, because no one's going to, our hero's going to find the truth, but no one's going to believe them. Right. And that's exactly what happens with Fives, and he dies in Rex's arms, and you can just tell that Rex so badly wants to believe him, but just can't quite make himself do it. And him, and that moment helps set up Rex actually believing it in Season 7. But even then, I felt like it, it answered one of the biggest questions of the prequels. Why did the clones turn so quickly? It explained how the chips work, while also tying up the loose ends so well that you never are wondering, well, but why didn't all the clones know about this? You know, and I just like, it's not perfect. In some ways, I wish the clones had a little more agency than just a chip in their head. Yeah. But getting past that, I I just think it is like, to me, like, if I could give a class on how to make a prequel, I would use that moment of that, that whole character arc. Yeah, I think that obviously, like, once he knows the truth, you're like, oh, well, this this can't out end well for him. Like that happens in movies and series where like when you know yeah. that like the truth isn't going to be able to be discovered by the yeah. general populace yet or by whoever, it's like the best case scenario is no one believes this person. But they're, yeah. they're probably going to get killed, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, I mean the whole like the chip thing, I'm not crazy about it, but at the same time, I do find it a little more credible than that all the clones turned against again you know, against the Jedi mm-hmm. all at once by an order from this one dude who, like, you know, it just it it feels more believable, even though it, yeah. it also feels a little like like a, a cop out in some ways. Um, but I do think once you accept that as like, okay, this is the way it worked, um, I think they do a great job of it, and uh, and then that becomes pivotal in the Bad Batch as well. Yes, right, very much and so. um, and I think is handled really well there. Um, 
And yeah, this this whole arc is it's one of those like when you have like putting together a prequel and this is like an interquel, right? It's like yeah. <laughs> it's a prequel to Revenge of the Sith, but it's a sequel to Attack of the Clones. It's like they're sliding mm-hmm. in between these two big movies like 150 episodes of TV or something yeah, like that, lot. right? They're just like, just slipping in 100-something, epi- you know, 40-something, 50 hours of television. Um, and it's like a puzzle, I think. Like, how do you get it to interlock with the yeah. sort of the edges of those stories? And I agree with you that um, Ahsoka, it's like, okay, they wrote her out in a way that makes some sense, you know? And... Like, I think originally they were maybe going to kill her off, and then they're like, ah, let's not do that. She's mm-hmm. just too good of a character to just, like, waste this early, you know? Which, and thank God that we're getting her back now. Yeah, of course. Back. Of course, absolutely. And, you know, then you got those moments in, in um, Rebels, right? And, right. Um, and then I actually thought when, when you were bringing up uh, this, I, I thought one thing that they wrapped up in a similar way was, um, was Ventress. Yeah. That, like, Dooku had an apprentice, right? But we never see an apprentice in any of the movies. What's up with that? And it's like, well, you know, the apprentice doesn't stay the apprentice because Palpatine's like, hey, you can't have an apprentice. you got to kill her off. So he tries, and it doesn't work super well. And then they introduce the Night Witches, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, a really uh, fascinating – oh, the Night Sisters? Is that Night Sisters, yeah. Yeah. But they are witches. You're right. right. Yeah, and – her, Ventress's story with the Night Witches had a number of honorable mentions for me, and the one that's probably eleven that was so close is the 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 episode of Ahsoka and Ventress as the two people who have kind of both left their orders and are kind of like to me. I still want the buddy cop show of yeah, those two yeah. together, you know. Um, and I and I will say also for people who want even more closure on the Ventress story, the book Dark Disciple is. I think the best exploration of the dark side and the idea of, like, Mm. can you use some dark side powers without it corrupting you and that maybe it's not as black and white as the Jedi would would want you to know. And it does give a wonderful kind of closure to Ventress's story in a a heartbreaking way. But, um, Mm. yeah, it's a really, really good book. Cool. So the – let me just make sure this – so the last Clone Wars uh, episode I wanted to bring up, and it actually is very similar to kind of what we were just discussing there, it is from Season 7, and it is part of that last arc. And I really wrestled with trying to find what was the one favorite moment, and the Ahsoka Maul lightsaber fight is up there. But I think even more so, and kind of it's the same thing we are just talking about, there's a moment in Season 7, Episode 10, The Phantom Apprentice, where Ahsoka and Maul are talking. And you know, some of it's them like kind of trash talking each other and things like this, but they're getting under. But part of what they're realizing is that both of them have been abandoned by their respective orders. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to be with Palpatine, like you said, or, or you didn't bring this up, but Palpatine like kind of kicked Maul out, and Ahsoka's been. She chose to left after the, the Jedi, but really because she saw like how terrible they were, and they had kicked her out. And it's just this really touching moment between the two of them, of them kind of realizing that even though they're on very opposite sides, that they're that they really have this connection. And and to me, then it is paid off so well with once she has defeated him in that epic lightsaber battle, and now the whole ship turns on her, she releases him, 
and he thinks like he has this moment uh, and I almost feel bad for him because he's like wow I have an ally and he's like well can you give me a lightsaber because she basically says I need you to create a distraction yeah. for me and he says well can you give me a lightsaber so I can survive and she says I'm not rooting for you yeah yeah she's like oh I'm not rooting for you <laughs> it's so brutal but it's so and I yeah. I love that moment for her I love that moment for him but but yeah it, to me it's all teed up by that great discussion they have in uh, The Phantom Apprentice yeah for sure um I going back a little um the whole thing of Ahsoka leaving the order I think that yeah. was all that's not so much a moment but like her the way they don't trust her and then she like actually teams up with Ventress for a minute to that's like sort of your buddy cop moment yeah exactly but it doesn't really last that long and then she decides Mm -hmm. leads the order and now here where she's like she's not back to be a Jedi she's just back to do this one thing right and then she has that conversation with Maul which is awesome they have the lightsaber battle which is amazing um I, I think maybe that's the best lightsaber battle in all of Star Wars. Like, I I can't think of one that I think is better, you know? Um, in terms of, like, pure fight choreography, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. That's I what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. Others have more emotional resonance for me, but that, I think, is just in terms of, like, a fun fight to watch. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah, I mean, like, the one at Return of the Jedi will always be the climactic, epic most important lightsaber battle that in in my view of of you know the yeah. galaxy right but um and this one doesn't have it it has emotional stakes but it's this like it is this sort of like second tier lightsaber yeah. battle in terms of like these are the apprentices right these aren't the the masters um right. but but the fight choreography is just spectacular and so I think it's kind of the tragedy of it is to some ways you know that, like, this fight doesn't matter. Right, It's right. happening against the background of Order 66 about to happen. Yeah. You know what comes next and neither of these characters filter into it. And that, right. yeah, it's just, like, to me, I for me, I think the most powerful one is Duel of the Fates. And that might okay. be 90% the music. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> frankly. I mean, the music. I mean, you can't um, argue with the music. The, the, but again, I don't think... Duel of the Fates hit me much harder after watching The Clone Wars because now I was much more invested in the relationship between these two. Right, right. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely agree with you that, that the Ahsoka uh, falling is definitely part of the another great moment. Um, but yeah, then her her with that that saying that to Maul, oh, I'm I'm not rooting for you, you know. Yeah. And then he goes like full Magneto when he's like in one of the hallways and he's just like ripping the metal paneling off the walls mm-hmm. with the force and having it like decapitate like a ton of clone troopers or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that whole season is just, I mean, I, I've already said it, but yeah, my, there's, there's so many moments in just those last two episodes, right. Where, you know, where she's, she's like, you know, you're a good soldier, Rex, you know? And, mm-hmm. and like, it, it's just, it's so heartbreaking to see them like going up against um, all all the other troopers. I think Jesse is leading them at that point or something, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and like that they're not gonna kill them, but you know they're they're not gonna just let them kill them, right? And right. and like all of them having her like a, a sort of painting of her face basically on their mm-hmm. helmets or some of them doing that, you know? Yeah. And like, then like when she walks in and sees that and then Anakin hands her her lightsabers and like all of that was so awesome. But like the, 
the like to me the capping moment and this is sort of where you were talking about visions this is the the thing that to me is sort of a little parallel here is when you see I, they I I buried them all, right? Yeah. And they have all of the helmets like on sticks or something, right? Like as like grave markers. I think it's their rifles. Oh, it's their rifles. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then Vader shows up. The very the last scene of Clone Wars is there's no talking, right? There's just the sound of nature and it's mm-hmm. this it's now all covered in snow with this crashed star destroyer, right? Or whatever it was called at the time, cruiser, right? And um and Vader's walking towards like all of those, you know, you see the helmet there with um uh with like Ahsoka's face on it, but then you see Vader reflected in it, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that or you see it reflected in Vader's eyes. But then you see this overhead shot. He picks up a lightsaber and turns it on. And like, you know, because there's no sound effect, there's not much music. You like hear the hum of it and it's blue. And it's Vader standing there in the snow holding this blue lightsaber, you know. And to me, that's like he's just become Vader. Right. And he's just traded in. For a blue, for a red one, I guess I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's like here he is holding, um, holding this other lightsaber, and it's like it sort of feels to me like this piece of like who he was, you yeah. know, as it's like Ahsoka's, and but now here he is as this, and it to me that says more about Vader's, like it, like to me I just had this feeling like oh he just. He just lives the entire rest of his life just in misery, you know, like he never gets what he wanted, you know, and like he's just like he couldn't save Padme. He he doesn't have the kid, his kids until the very end. Yeah. He he loses Obi-Wan. He loses Pat Ahsoka. Yeah. He loses his mom, like everything. And, And this it just kind of without any words, I think, really tells so much about Anakin's story. And, yeah. and who Vader is then. Um, and everything that had happened between Rex and Ahsoka and all yeah. those troopers, you know. And everything you just said also, again, I think one of the, we can start talking about Rebels now, but I'll just start by saying, like, one of the things I love so much about Rebels is how much it pays off. Mm. Like, yes. Rebels to me is in many ways a love letter to the Clone Wars. Yeah. And one of my favorite moments I'll get to, you can probably guess what it is, but it, it builds so perfectly on all the Ahsoka Vader stuff. But the other one, and this didn't make my top 10, but again, it was in the top 20 probably, is um, when Ahsoka and Rex have the reunion in Rebels. Oh, and, yeah. Like, it even just starts with, like, Ahsoka won't even go, but, you know, she tells Kanan, um, you know, I need you to reconnect with with a friend of mine. He is a very good military leader. And yeah. I, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, is this Rex? Is this <laughs> yeah, Rex? yeah, yeah. Is this Rex? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you get this wonderful – and then, like, there's all this stuff between Kanan and Rex, which winds up being – well. I'll get to that. Let's talk yeah. about Rebels overall. Kind of what, so what, you Are said we like, do you Bad know, Batch as it's between Oh, yeah, two, Bad Batch or? comes there too, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, yeah. I just so eager to jump into Rebels. <laughs> we're like no, almost an hour in and it's like yeah. we're only halfway through the timeline. I knew this was going to be a long episode. Um, Bad Batch overall, I feel like I really enjoyed. It, it, it didn't hit me really hard. And like one thing I found was I was like, I liked Bad Batch, but I was having trouble. There's one moment I found that I want to mention, but I was having trouble finding, like, individual moments. And, like, 
I don't think I remember individual plot lines that much, but mm-hmm. I feel like I could rewatch it and be happy. And that it is a, it hit the, the kind of way I'm starting to measure a lot of Star Wars stuff now is one, how enjoyable is it as its own thing? And two, how much does it add to the Star Wars universe? And I feel like it did both. It's perfectly enjoyable. There's some fun characters. It's funny. There's a good good drama. And I feel like a lot of the questions that I've always had about this like transition, you know, how did it become the Empire? Why did people go along with this? What happened to the clones? It, it does a really good job of answering those questions in ways I really, really like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I For me, it also gets a consistency award. Uh, there's there's maybe an episode or two that I, I didn't like as much, but it really, um, you know, it picks up where Clone Wars left off, like, immediately, right. right? Literally, not even where it left off, it overlaps with the end of, you know, what we were right. just talking about, right? They start with Order 66, basically, literally, um, that day. And... Um, I, I should just say, by the way, a spoiler warning because we haven't covered. No, wait, we did cover Bad Batch at the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I expect if you're listening to this point, you've watched Bad Batch. I'm going to give a spoiler warning just if you're watching Rebels along right. with this ep- with the show. We will get to season three and four of Rebels, I promise. Um, it's just so much is going on. We are going to spoil some moments from those last two seasons, though. So if you haven't seen them yet, you might want to pause point. and come back to us. But we we're going to talk about Bad Batch first, though. So yeah, yeah. At that point, I think. I think when we get to season three Rebels, then maybe we'll say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, so, if you haven't seen Bad Batch, go watch it and skip ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty short, right? It's not a ton of episodes. It's a decent number. But it it pays off a lot of, you know, one of the first characters who shows up is Caleb Doom, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a young Kanan Jarrus. And, um, and it's got... Hera and and Chopper, right? And yep. uh, and so it, it really references Rebels, but it also picks up at the end of Clone Wars. And I mean, Clone Wars season seven, the first four episodes are basically a backdoor pilot for Bad Batch, right? Yeah. They have four episodes introducing these characters, um, you know, and you get Echo in here. And I there's a lot of things that I really enjoyed throughout it. A lot of the kind of Uncle Wrecker stuff. And, you know, there there is this kind of like, sadness that pervades the series i feel but mm-hmm. not like a depressing sadness just kind of like yeah. a sort of like things aren't going well but it doesn't feel like there's no hope um but sort of the the opposite of that the thing that the one moment that like actually really sticks out really a lot to me is when omega gets off the ship the first planet that they go to after leaving, you know, the place she grew up in, that's an ocean planet, and she just mm-hmm. was inside this facility her whole life. Like, and she gets out and she's like, oh, this is dirt. Like, I've read about this, you know? <laughs> like, she picks up soil and she's like, there's just like the the nature of that planet. And the fact that then that's where, you know, they, they run into, uh, what's his name? Cut? Is it Cut? Um the episode's titled "Cut and Run." Okay. Uh, but anyway, it's the 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 trooper, the the deserter. You know. Yeah, that's right. Um, Cut. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, and basically, just that moment of Ahsoka uh, of Ahsoka of Omega being like, "Oh, this is." Like, this is soil, you know? Yeah. And then, like, the kids being like, do you want to play ball? And she's like, like, do you want to play catch? And she's like, what's that? <laughs> and, yeah. 
it definitely makes me think of um you know there's, there's kind of uh, a gotcha thing going around the internet of like telling people you need to go touch grass you know which is kind of means like you need to go get out of your home and like see the world and remember like not everything is just what you're reading on the internet kind of thing um it's a little silly it's become a meme like most memes are but i always think of that omega moment when someone mm. says that you know yeah 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 the internet's the worst but uh yeah. <laughs> I, yeah i i do feel like there is this tension between you know theory and practice a lot of the time although mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be a tension it should be more of a compliment but yeah you know but yeah I, I think my favorite moment in the Bad Batch, and it actually addresses kind of what we were talking about before, because I think I love the character of Crosshair so much. Because mm. Crosshair, to me, is someone who they, we find out later that he had his chip removed, he has agency, and yet he still – he's that person who still has to follow orders and still has to – like he's not willing to – to challenge the idea that everything they've been doing is wrong, you know, right. and that all these things and, and he struggles with it though. And, and there's one particular moment and uh, I forget what has happened, but it's some moment where he has like, tr- like tried to capture the, the bad batch and they, they've kind of been like, come on crosshair, you're our brother. And he says, no. And he goes into the barracks that he used to share with them, and now there are these new stormtroopers with him. Mm, and he yeah. just kind of, like, sits alone. And it's just, like, it's just such this beautiful moment of, like, yeah, he used to be part of this brotherhood. And he, like, like, like an Ahsoka, like a Maul, like a Ventress, he's on right. his own. And he's on his own because he's making terrible choices, and he's a villain, he's an antagonist. But you still feel for him so much in that moment. And I just... To me, that's the one thing that the chip story doesn't get is like this. I think a major theme of the Bad Batch is this idea of like there being conflict between the clones about do Mm -hmm. you trust the Jedi? Do you not? Because they spent all this time being taught to completely obey the Jedi. And some of them had Jedi who treated them really well, like Anakin. And others think the Jedi just use them as cannon fodder. And so they're very easy to believe that the Jedi are are monsters. And I just to me, all that is summed up in in the Crosshair story. Yeah, me too. And I, I was very happy that it turned out that he'd removed his chip and yeah. that he still chose to follow orders, right? Yeah. He wasn't programmed to anymore. He just, he that's how he viewed things, right? He just yeah. decided that's what he does. He follows orders. And he didn't think the Empire was so bad. And while I think he's completely wrong, like, I think he's exactly the type of antagonist that makes sense is... You know, having it gives it gives some depth and um, and it is heartbreaking when, you know, when they realize that, like, no, it's not just the chip like this is crosshairs, you know, like he he was always the sniper, you know, like he's not (laughs) he's not like just gonna gonna go with them just because they take out a chip. He's like, no, I, I made my choice. Um, yeah. And and yeah, that that realization that that or the confirmation of that, I think for me was a was a highlight of of the bad Definitely. batch. Uh, anything else on bad batch? Or we're talking about rebels. No, let's let's move on. Okay, and I think here we're going to start by just kind of going over the overall what we like about rebels, and so this will have some spoilers for season three and season four. So if you want to check out now, of course, theethicalpanda.com. You'll find all the places to give feedback. Love to hear your feedback. What are your favorite moments from Clone Wars? Uh, Paul, you want to give a quick plug for what you're doing these days? 
Yeah, uh, I'm Zen Madman. Uh, I think we're going to be twitching more whenever this comes yep. out, right? Pretty soon we'll be doing that more. I do like some poker in the mornings and we're going to be doing some podcasting and I might be doing some other various stuff in the evenings. I think on Wednesdays and Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So, yep. um, yeah, and then, you know, I'm Zen Madman on Twitter and stuff like that. Definitely. So we'll be right back with Rebels. So we'll get into Rebels right after this commercial break. That's hilarious. I was going to be like, well, you should put a commercial here. <laughs> <laughs> I have the chip. Welcome back. All right, so let's talk about Rebels. Uh, we talked about it briefly before. Like you said, it wins the Consistency Award. Um, not needing to kind of go into more about how it compares to others, but just overall, what's what's your feeling on this show? Yeah, this show, I, I remember, I think when we were doing some of the Kenobi feedback or something, you mentioned twisting my arm to watch it, which I think I disputed the exact characterization, characterization that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, definitely I watched the first several episodes... I think I like tried to watch it in French because, like, I don't know why. Because um, I, I got the discs, right? And I was like, all right, well, I, you know, I already watched Clone Wars in Spanish a few times. So, like, I'll watch this in French because it only had Spanish and French. And, and, like, I watched a certain number of episodes. I think I switched back to Spanish or whatever. And I was just like, I didn't quite get into it. Like, the, the group yeah. didn't quite grab me. And then, then you started watching it, and you definitely encouraged me to give it another shot. I was like, all right, I'll give yeah. it another shot. And again, out of the gate, it didn't super grab me. But, you know, I mean, sometimes I can be like, I'll sort of watch something and do something else. Um, usually I watch something, like, with full focus, though. And mm-hmm. so at a certain point, it kind of turned a corner for me. You know, yeah. sometime, maybe late in season one, I think towards the end of season one, um, it mm-hmm. might have been some of the Inquisitor stuff. Um, and... Then season two, I loved. Season three, I loved. Season four, I loved parts. Really disliked a few things, but also saw them coming because it was like, I don't know how else you're going to mm-hmm. square the circle, kind of. Yeah. Um, I, I assumed, and again, here are the spoilers. Yeah. We're talking about what was almost one of my top ten, the death of Kanan Jar- Jarrus. Yeah, yeah. I just absolutely loathed that, that episode. Like, from the very beginning, like, I was just like, oh, this is what's going to happen here. And it just... It, it just because I, it, whatever, I won't get into it, but I didn't yeah. like that part. But I know tons of people love it. I won't, I won't rant about it. Yeah. Um, I do think that's one of those sort of like problem with prequels things where, I mean, the whole thing with Ahsoka and the whole way they end the season, you know, or the series, it's like, it's such a wild, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like you, you have to get, you have to get rid of most of your main characters. And, like, they killed some off, they had some leave, and they're like, all right, we're kind of out of my... What about kidnapped by space whales? Exactly. <laughs> what about... Let's do something with space time. Why not? Like, <laughs> and so, yeah, that that's just like, oh, okay, fine. That's that's what they did. And um, But then I went back, and I <laughs> I actually started watching the first season in Cantonese, because mm-hmm. this this is what I do. And, yeah. and I got... I grew to really love it, like, because I just... When I'm, like, listening to something in a language I really don't know very well at all, I'll listen to the Mm -hmm. same episodes, like, over and over, and then I'll just know the story beat for beat, you know? Yeah. And I I do think that the first season is actually very good. It just, when I first watched it, it just, 
I, I didn't have any like investment. I just wasn't. I just yeah. didn't get into it quickly. But once you get to know the characters, <clears throat> I think it becomes much more compelling. Yeah, I I think season one is is a slow burn, very good setup. And so the first time I like didn't really get into it, and then season two starts to pay off so much of the stuff from season one. Yeah. So then when you go back and watch season one, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I see this now. I see this now. Exactly. And it just, it, it, it really works on a rewatch like that. I, For sure. I also think it's, it's interesting to me, like, with both Clone Wars and, but I think even especially Rebels, I think some, actually with both of them, the voice acting is to me a huge part of what I love about it. And so mm-hmm. I always find it interesting that you enjoy it. Like, when you talk about watching it in other languages, which I think is great, and I think it may well be that those voice actors are also very good. Uh, I don't by no means want to assume they're not, but it's always interesting because I feel like you're you're missing a big part of the show that I've seen at least. Right, um, we are watching. Not missing, you're just seeing a different version of it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We are having fundamentally different experiences, um, audio in an audio sense, right? And mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. And and I, with these shows, um, I mean, I really do enjoy the the Star Wars animation so much that I do feel like I can watch the show several times you know and and really really enjoy it in a, in a different way each time kind of and i find that listening to different versions of it um it sometimes a story will feel different you know in a different yeah. language and I, I don't know for me it gives a little bit of like perspective on like you know the the world just seems so different to different people, you know, like depending yeah. on on perspective. And um, and also, I, I think the translations aren't always 100%. Um, they're not like literal, right? Yeah. And so sometimes some things are actually a little different, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, and there have been things where I'm like, oh, I, I missed that because, you know, I just... Maybe I wasn't as good at whatever language it was when I watched it. Right. And then other times I'm like, oh, they, they actually said something totally different here. <laughs> That's a little weird. Yeah. It reminds me of like over on Superhero Ethics, we did an episode on our uh, Kenshin, um, the, the first movie, live action. And um, Riki Hayashi had watched it in Japanese and he had a very different experience. He had like some different uh, – there were some translation moments that were different and that we actually had a really good discussion about that. So yeah, yeah. I think definitely the languages can be uh, quite different. Yeah. We watched it in Japanese also, but with the English subs, right? So we're basically reading yeah, yeah, the movie that, yeah. and, like, and Riki's not reading it in English, listening to it in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I experienced it in English language. Yeah. yeah. I was hearing yeah. Japanese as I did it. It's different. Yeah, for sure. One other thing I think I love about Rebels, and Clone Wars does this a little bit, but Clone Wars is so far in the past that this is harder. There are a couple of cameos of characters who will will be a big part of later movies, the original trilogy, but and they have these like one or two episode arcs that are so perfect for them. Uh, Lando Calrissian is so good, and and he he's not much of an arc. You just get to see him like at his scoundrelliest, scoundrelliest best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to me, it's really Princess Leia. Um, mm. we get to see her when she's like 15 and she's just so, I just rewatched this episode with Mary the first time we see show her show up where she just, you know, she's bossing everyone around. And I mean that in a bad way. I mean like she has the, like, she feels so self-confident in her authority, even when she is blatantly lying. And, and as we kind of pointed out before, one of the things that Rebel shows is like at this point, the empire, like the person who blusters most wins because everyone is so afraid and everyone's so afraid of overstepping someone else's authority. 
And I just feel like what my enjoyment of who Leia is in Kenobi, I think, was increased dramatically because of her appearances in Rebels. Because it just like it shows, you know, she's she's just as confident by the time that, you know, the flyboys break her out. But it just was so great seeing that young part of her when she is in the Senate and she's pretending not to be part of the Rebels, but she secretly is. And the way she just, like, from the moment they meet, like, is completely in control of Kanan and Ezra. I just love it. Yeah, I think I think Leia's great in it. Um, I think it really does gel well with um, her in Kenobi. Mm-hmm. You know, the live-action 10-year-old. And, and, I mean, to think of it as sort of bridging that to the original trilogy, right? When this yeah. actually... They've just gone backwards, right? They did the original trilogy, <laughs> yeah. then they did Rebels, then they did Kenobi, and somewhere in there, I guess maybe around while Rebels was happening, they have the mm-hmm. sequel trilogy. But like, yeah, I, I I think this Leia is is very um she she feels right, you know? Yeah. She feels like, yes, this feels like who this character is. Um and I, I think that would be an interesting, I don't know, like, I feel like if they did a series five years from now with mm-hmm. the girl from Kenobi, where she's a main character, like, I'd watch a, like, teenage Leia, like, yeah. you know, do, and I mean, you could be in the Senate, right, when you're a teenager, right? I mean, Padme was, mm-hmm. I mean, I know she was a queen or whatever, but, like. I mean, I think it's entirely possible she's a part of Andor. Oh, yeah, that seems... Well, yeah, but it wouldn't be the same actress, right? Unless no, this yeah, is, true. I mean, I don't know the, I don't know anything about Andor except it has Diego Luna and he's mm-hmm. playing Andor. Um, yeah. But uh, I've, I've specifically avoided um, any of the you know, marketing Me stuff. I, or I think it happens in like the two or three years before the original movies, but right. I don't know and I don't want to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be my, my guess, but whatever. Um, yeah. Diego Luna looks like he probably could play himself. Like the same age for a long time, like I don't know. Yeah. Like I feel like he's he's looked the same age for a while. But um, uh, yeah, I I think Leia and Lando both are great moments in the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Rebels does a great job of paying off uh, characters from Clone Wars. Pay you know having either Easter eggs or like full blown cameos or like significant um you know roles for characters from the original trilogy and and maybe stuff after that without relying on that yeah like rex and ahsoka become main characters yeah lando and leia don't right right yeah like yeah like like recurring regular characters right significant part of the the main never quite part of the main group but like regularly working with them Right, whereas right. Leia and Lando kind of just filter in, and like three PO and um, and R two also earlier on, right with mm-hmm. with Bale, yep. I think, um, and Definitely. then Leia shows up later. Yeah. So let me go through some of my specific moments, and you can talk about yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any from season one. I think there's a lot of great stuff in season one, oh, but to me, I so much one. of it is paying off season two. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Okay. Um, where. They're facing down. It's the second episode, right? Ezra has been. I, this I've watched these two episodes like a dozen times. So, <laughs> so basically, Kanan and Zeb or whatever were about to get cut, 
caught and then Ezra runs in and gets them to not get caught but then he gets caught and then they come back to save him and then they go to get you know uh, pick up the Wookiees from the spice mines or something and then Agent Callus, the main antagonist in the beginning right in the very beginning Mm -hmm. is there and there's a bunch of stormtroopers and the Wookiees and and the you know our, our rebel team are all pinned down and um, Kanan's like, all right, we're going to do a, you know, a, a beta 22 or whatever. There's some alphanumeric code or something for it. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. And um, Ezra's like, do you care to let me in on the secret? And uh, and Kanan says, I'm about to let everybody on, in on the secret, kid. <laughs> and then he, like, screws his lightsaber together and, like, wades out into all the stormtroopers and Callus. And they're all like, what the? <laughs> they're like, yeah. it's a Jedi. <laughs> and, and that moment, but just like I'm about to let everybody in on the secret. It's kid. Such a good line. It was so it's good. Such a good line. <laughs> yeah. No, I I love that. I love the dynamic between the two of them. K- Kanan is such a good character, and I know you don't like his end. I I love it, but I think we just get so many great moments with him. Absolutely. Um, it, I couldn't find one to make my top ten, but the whole dynamic between him and Rex, like on the one hand, they play it for comedy a lot of like mm-hmm. kind of. Ezra's two bickering father figures. Right. But you also know there's so much pain there because they both represent this group that they, like, not as much Rex, but, like, you know, to Kanan, the clones betrayed him and tried to kill him. And right. he'd kill his mentor, his his master. And, and and you know, to some extent, Rex is like, well, you know, I knew a good Jedi. And he, he talks very fondly about Anakin, which is yeah. kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. But he also thinks like a lot of the Jedi were kind of idiots and that his clones were better soldiers than the Jedi. Right, right. And yeah, so the dynamics between the two of them are so good. Um, my first moment is, uh, and it's kind of connected to the uh, Callus you were talking about, uh, and it's in Rebels Season 2, Episode 17, The Honorable Ones. Because this is where Callus has been up to this point mostly an antagonist. And you've seen him a little, like, every now and then flinching a little bit at some of the excesses of the Empire, but mostly he's going along with it. And this is where him and Zeb get uh, marooned together on this moon off of Geonosis in a frozen planet. And they have to work together. And it's a very much a, like, enemies to buddies story. Um, and it's, I love that kind of story, and that alone is beautiful, but... It is the, I think it is the turning point, and it's very clearly shown as the, the first turning point of what I think is one of the best redemption arcs that we've seen. On, like, to me, it's up there with Zuko or Katra in terms of just like, because it's not a, you know, season three, he doesn't just say, oh, I had one good conversation with Zeb, I think the Empire's bad, let me come help you. It's two seasons more of him being Fulcrum and then him starting to work with them, but them not believing him. And him slowly becoming part of the team, very much like Zuko did. Uh, actually, given that Filoni is involved with both, yeah. that's maybe not coincidental. Uh, uh, he knows how to do a redemption story. And and frankly, by the end of it, it is not confirmed. And I'm saying, I don't think you're wrong if you don't see this. I think it's very easy to read Zeb and Callus as romantically involved by the end. Um, particularly with things like, you know, at the vi- like Zeb takes him to meet his family on mm. the, 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 the planet of Lasans, mm-hmm. the planet of Lasats. And, and granted, it's in part because Callus uh, has such a history with them. And this moment really gets into that, you know, because he, one of the things Zeb has been so upset about this whole time is that Callus has this sword, this like, uh, it's like a rifle and a, a weapon 
It's a rifle and a melee weapon that only the honor guard are supposed to to have. And Zeb thinks he just like stole it, like when he raided the planet. But Zeb finds out that no, there is this tradition in his people of if you defeat one of that honor guard, they will give you the weapon as a mm. sign of like you defeated me in honorable combat. And that Callus won it through that. And that Callus clearly has regret about what turned into a massacre. And it's right. just I, I love their story so much and watching to me that episode is is not the only, but one of the real turning points in it. Yeah, I have Zeb and Callus on the Moon on my list. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it for me there's not like a, a moment of that episode. It's like the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um it yeah, basically everything you just said. I, I didn't see any romance there, but I you know, I'm not saying it's not there. Um yeah. you know. Uh definitely I, I like the whole Lasat kind of kind of like they you know, they find some, like, sort of surviving Lasat, right? And they mm-hmm. take them back to the homeworld or something, right? Yeah. Or a new place? Is it back it's to a the new, pl- a new It's a new place, place that they have right? to use kind of their version of force magic to find. Right, right. And then the fact that he takes Kalos mm-hmm. there at the end, I think, is, like, very, very meaningful, regardless of, of how you interpret it. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, the... I was going to say that that is... That scene feels analogous to... There's a scene between Zuko and Aang um, where they're kind of like they in like season one um, where somebody rescues someone and they're like wearing a mask. And then then there's Mm -hmm. this like, oh, you know, I think we could have been friends in a different world, basically. Yeah. You know, and it's but then it's still two seasons before that gets paid off in, in yeah. you know, Airbender. And here it's it's two seasons or a season or two. It's a while, right? Before we yeah. see Callus as like... I mean, certainly it's two seasons before he's like a member of the team, you know? Yeah. And and so I, I really do appreciate that kind of really earned kind of slow um, redemption arc. Like, it's an arc. It's not a redemption point, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's a carrot. It's very much an arc. It's an arc. And it's funny because I, I went – when I started this rewatch, I remembered the arc. I didn't remember how much of a villain he was. And there's a moment in those first two episodes, that first kind of one-episode arc that's over two episodes. Yeah. I thought you were going to mention because it was my reminder of like, oh, no, they start Kalos off dark. Yeah. Where they've dealt with all this Jedi stuff. Everyone's super upset. Kalos is super upset. And like he's clinging to this like po- – he's clinging to this pole over a, a deep fall – you know, and there's a stormtrooper like just below him, also clinging to it. And the stormtrooper says something like kind of obnoxious, but in a like, wow, can't believe yeah. they pulled that he's, off. He says, he's like, is that the first Jedi you've seen, sir? Or something like that. Yeah, and Callus just kicks him in the head and he falls to his death. <laughs> Presumably. Like, I mean, people survive falls all the time, and uh, but he's not a Sith, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know, it is certainly presumed. I don't think Callus is, like, looking down and being like, eh, no, it's a short drop. I yeah, can yeah. kick him. No, like, no. He's like, I'm going to kill this guy because he annoyed me. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. I can't. They're really going to redeem this guy. Right. That's, that's a struggle. Yeah. And they sure. pull it off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That is, like, one of my least favorite tropes. The, like, mm-hmm. villain kills someone on their team, like, just to show that they're a villain. But That's fair. Uh, but it, it, That's fair. 
somehow it's funny here. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like when it's played for, like, dark, serious, look how evil they are. And I'm like, when it's played for comedy, I'm yeah. kind of okay with it. Yeah. When we were going to make a non-animated list, one of mine was going to be Vader doing the same thing. But, like, you know, you failed for me the, failed me for the last time. And then, then he promotes... You know, he's like, Captain Piet, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Now you are in charge, Admiral Piet. <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah, while the other guy is choking and dying. Exactly, and, like, exactly. The Piet actor does very little in those movies, but just him, like, the way he side-eyes the guy choking as he's listening to Vader and then, like, makes a head motion to, like, get rid of the body. It's so good. <laughs> um, I have one more favorite moment from episode, from season two. It is the top of my list. I think the best moment in all of animated Star Wars. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> I am no Jedi. Yeah. yeah. It's the it's the whole Ahsoka Vader confrontation. Everything yeah. about it is wonderful. Um <clears throat> as we talked about, if you heard our Kenobi wrap up, it it and I think the most direct kind of connection between Kenobi and the animated, the yeah. you know, Ahsoka knocks off one half of Anakin's helmet. Kenobi knocks off the other. They do this wonderful slow burn during those first two seasons, that the, the second season yeah. of Ahsoka slowly figuring this out, not wanting to accept the truth, and then wanting to think that she can save Anakin, and then realizing that she can't. And <clears throat> there's so many good lines, but it's just that that last one of, you know, if I can't save Anakin, I will avenge him. Mm. Vader says, revenge is not the Jedi way, and she says, I am no Jedi. Yeah. And it's like, I A, I think it's supposed to be a reference to Eowyn saying, I am no man from Lord of the Rings. Like, it's a great, like, woman moment. It's just such a great, like, payoff to her whole journey and everything we talked about from the Clone Wars. It, it, it's just, I can watch that scene. If I that if I have to watch one scene from Star any part of Star Wars... As much as I love so much in live action, I think that may be my favorite three or four minutes in Star Wars. Mm. It's it's up there for me. I mean, I was on exactly one of the Rebels episodes so far, and it was that one. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, tell me when you're doing this one. Yeah, <laughs> I so want good. an excuse to rewatch this in four different languages. Like, yeah. it, it's so good. It's, um, you know, that whole... I think it's a two-episode arc, right? Twilight of the mm-hmm. Apprentice? Is it Twilight? Twilight of the Apprentice, yeah. It's 21 uh, and 22. Like, there's so many good parts of it where, like, they come in and they fall down through the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the cracks and into the this Sith temple. And then they, um, Ezra gets separated from the group and meets Maul and uh, the whole thing between Ezra and Maul. And then finally Maul's revealed to be mm-hmm. who he is. And then he sides with them against the Inquisitors, yeah. you know. Um, and then, uh, and then I guess he leaves. Just, well, he, he 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 almost immediately after that fight attacks Kanan and blinds him. Right, he blinds Kanan first, right, and mm-hmm. and I think then he leaves, right. When yeah. Vader's showing up, he's like, "Oh, there's the moment with Vader on top of the Tie Fighter." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, there's... the most extra thing ever. Where and among other things, it's inside a building. Yeah. So he's ma- he's not only controlling the Tie Fighter, 
but he's making wind happen to make his cape flap in the wind. Yeah, yeah. But presumably, I mean, I think I think you could interpret it different ways, but that's that's definitely yeah. the most fun way of reading <laughs> yeah. the scene. Certainly he is using the force to control the tie fighter. That's like for there's sure. no pilot yeah. in there. I mean, he's flying the Yes, exactly. Nobody's in the tie fighter. He's on the tie fighter. It reminds me of a George Carlin thing where they're like, "Get in the plane." He's like, Get in. I'm getting. Or they're like, get on the plane or blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'm getting in the plane. <laughs> Vader's like, I'm getting on the plane. Yeah. But I like it. yeah, the, the, the whole like, that whole fight scene is the culmination of such a great pair of episodes. And then the I am no Jedi is just this like, you know, exclamation point on top of an exclamation point, basically. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like top five for me, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's I, very good. I think end of season seven Clone Wars is is a little more for me for some reason. That's fair. You know, um, but but it's you know there's a level and these are these are those are both yeah. on it. And I, again, I mean, th- for me, the that moment being so important is eighty percent because of the Clone Wars, right? Like, yeah, because the, of all the stuff I saw about Ahsoka and Vader's connection, and like to me. It's very much paying off that last moment that you talked about, it, you know, in Vader and Ahsoka kind of like having their last thoughts about each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and to me, the best, like, if you're going to do a massive connected universe, which, like, mm. I have some misgivings about, but if you're going to do it, the way to do it right or the best thing you can do about it is when you make one thing, then you make another thing that is... Enjoyable on its own, but even extra enjoyable because you saw the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then if you go back and see the first thing again, now you enjoy the first thing even more than before you saw the second thing. You know, yeah. where like the things really build on each other and inform each other. Um, and so I think these those two pieces, which I think are my two favorite moments of animation or even just like this two episode arc and that two to four episode arc really right because there's like two episodes of order 66 and there's like two episodes of like you know attacking mandalore and whatever um i I like that we had the same one too we're flipped but right yeah exactly it's just it's like and and they just they fit together so well you know they the one pays off the other and and the first one sets up the other one and yeah yeah absolutely so, funny enough, my last two moments are both from the same episode of Rebels. And it's not necessarily my favorite my favorite episode, but they're both just beautiful moments. Uh, and they're lower on my list. They're six and eight. And the first one I'll mention, because it kind of pays off what we were just talking about, because one of the things I like about the Twilight of the Apprentice episodes is Ezra is tempted by Maul. And not just in a, like, oh, he's so lost in rage, but because he is, like... Yeah, okay, maybe using some of these dark side powers are kind of not terrible. Right. And I think in some ways, like, Maul makes some good points along the way. Sure. And so in literally the next episode, Rebels Season 3, episode, well, it's Episode 1 and Episode 2 is the Steps into Shadow. And I think this moment comes in Episode 1, but it might come in Episode 2. But it's in that arc. Yeah. And it's where... He is, uh, Ezra is still thinking about the dark side powers. He has a Sith holocron and he's learning some things from it. And they're in a battle scene. And I, I got into a big argument with um, my other co-hosts and, and a lot of the fans. I think a lot of people disagree with this on me and that's totally fine. Uh, I think they like the moment, but they interpret it differently than I do. 
Um, but they're in a battle, and it looks like they're in real trouble. And, and I hold that he doesn't do this. I think they get killed, which is part of why I'm mm. okay with it. He uses the force to take basically mind control or body control of a person who's pi- of an imperial who's piloting an ATAT. Right. And he basically like forces him to first shoot the other soldiers mm-hmm. that are theoretically on his side and then to like take the walker off a long cliff that's right. going to destroy the walker and the pilot yeah. himself. And it's very much shown as a dark side power, and I think it is. It is like robbing this person of agency. It is, you know, forcing someone to kill their buddies and kill themselves. And war is hell. Right. And I believe in, to some extent, I do believe, like, there are things you don't do in war, like, you know, killing civilians and stuff like that. But to me, like, if you're trying to kill someone and they're trying to kill you and you find a way to stop them killing you and it kills them... I'm not going to lose too much sleep about what the exact morality of it is if there's not, like, collateral damage or stuff like that. And I I really like that Ezra does that, and that it is clearly a kind of dark side moment, but in the show he kind of feels bad, but there's still some sense of, like, that's what I had to do in that moment. And so, yeah, it is one of my favorite moments in Rebels. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Like, I would mind control a lot of people in a war. Like, I think the idea that, oh, you you shouldn't do that. You should just shoot at them to kill them. Like, what? Like, I mean, personally, I would be like, if there's any way of mind controlling them so they just stop shooting at me, that would be my first choice. Right? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, don't don't kill civilians. To me, that's that's like, I mean, it is a part of war, but it's not, it's like, it's something else. You know? But, like... When you're engaging enemy combatants, the idea that, like, I don't know, I think we could do a whole episode on mind control, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but, like, the idea that, like, if it was okay to shoot them, then I feel like it's definitely okay to mind control one of them to shoot the other. Like, get out of here. I don't know. And, And I will say before a bunch of fans come after us. There's there are different interpretations of this moment. Oh, it people. could be mind control. Another version is that it's basically a puppet, and the way like you oh. can use the force to manipulate objects. He's yeah. basically like using the force to manipulate the hands of the the controller. Right. <clears throat> I think that's an interesting question, but I think it's, it comes out the same way to me. Like yeah. you're you're denying a person agency and forcing them to do things they wouldn't do, including unaliving themselves, right. and that's. It's intense, but yeah, to me, like, I very rarely am going to be okay with that. But if so, I still am not like, oh, that's great. But yeah, if someone's trying to kill you and you think you need to kill them and you're doing good things, yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah, just be right about whether or not you're doing good things, you know? I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think the, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Anakin in, in, uh, in Clone Wars where it is this, like, you know, well, these are powers, right? right? How are you using your powers? Like, is a blaster dark side? You know, like yeah. it, it's, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah. I, I, I think that's that whole arc, which continues, right? The whole mm-hmm. kind of mall arc of Ezra sort of toying with the dark side, playing with it, and being like, well, what if this can, you know, teach us things? Um, my right last moment of well there's yeah there's something else i could have mentioned but like 
Well, you have you have one more, right? I have one more. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say further on that. Yeah, yeah. They, they continue exploring this idea of Ezra playing with the dark side, and it's. I think in general, one of my favorite parts of the clo- of the Rebels is that I mean, Yoda would think Kanan Jarrus is a horrible Jedi, right? Like he has a lover, and he has a kid with that lover eventually. Like yeah. he has attachments all over the place, yeah. and to me, a lot of Rebels is like, yeah. Maybe force users can actually do really good things when they don't do the things that, you know, the council was saying they had to do. For sure. For sure. So my last moment, and I think this moment was, it's important to me for what it represented. Uh, And it's also in that episode, Steps into Shadow, and it's when my absolute favorite character from the Star Wars books first appears. It's when Thrawn, I think it's intentional, oh. literally steps out of the shadows. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grand Admiral Thrawn is this f- amazing character from the books. He was first rig- written in Legends, and then he's been rewritten in the canon. And I think that he appeared before he'd been rewritten in the canon, but I don't know the timeline there. But this was the, f- like, we talked before about how great it was, for me at least, when, like, Bo-Katan shows up in live action and, like, things from animation show up in live action. This is kind of, like, that happening on another level. Yeah. Because this is the first time that something from the books and really from the Legends books, which, like, ha- you know, Disney had thrown them all out. A lot of fans were very angry about that. And some even think this Thrawn isn't the same as the one in the books. It's not. But I still, like, it to me was such a great moment of saying... Look, we are going to pay attention to our history. We're going to pay attention to the written books. Those aren't meaningless. And we're taking this character from Legends, the thing that you all think we forgot about, and bringing him into the story. And I think, even if you've never read any of those books, I think Thrawn is a fantastic antagonist over these next two seasons. But for me, especially as someone who loved him so much from the books, I mean, I literally cheered when I mm-hmm. saw him come on screen. So it's it's number eight on my list of moments, but it's still up there. Yeah, um... I really enjoyed Thrawn as a character, you know. Uh, I had heard about him before I saw him in Rebels, right? you know. And I, I do really appreciate them being like, yeah, we are going to draw from, you know, the decanonized books, basically, yeah. right? And, like, I mean, I, I don't care that much about canon in and of itself, but, like, I, I do think, like, look, if, if you have a great story somewhere, you have a great character somewhere... You know, yeah, use them, right? Yeah. And and also, you know, when you have a beloved character, right? Like, yeah, make people happy. And I remember when we watched the Ahsoka episode of um, Mandalorian, oh, and yeah. uh, he gets name dropped, and I remember you were like so excited. I was like, well, I'm that so definitely happy. wasn't the highlight of the episode for me, but like, yeah. but I appreciate that, like, you know, that that was for some people of. And that was a high bar because that was a great episode, you know. Yeah. And and it was like a – it also – it was a promise basically that like like what well, we told you we're doing an Ahsoka show. Here's mm-hmm. Ahsoka and she's talking about Thrawn. So who's yeah. going to show up in the Ahsoka th- show? Well, <laughs> looks, yeah. looks like Lars Mikkelsen. I, I think. I, 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 I really hope he's cast because he's a fantastic live action actor and was so good at the voice of Thrawn. Yeah. I just really hope they don't try to do live-action space whales. Like, oh. we don't need that. <laughs> don't need I, that. I think they will. I think <laughs> they will. Um, like, I'm almost sure that they will. I mean, it'll just okay. be CGI. But, yeah. like, I I don't think they'll be on screen with a bunch of people very often. 
I think it's probably true. I think it'll be a quick, like, here's what happened to them. Here's how they came back. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I love so. the space whales, though. As much as the yeah. whole thing is super ridiculous, like, I, oh, I do great. enjoy I, that. I just watched that episode again where they, like, rescue them on the gas planet. And it's just so, so good. Yeah. Um, I have one sort of stray moment and then one kind of paying off things moment. Go for um, it. The, the stray moment, it's more of an episode, or I think it's a single episode, and then he shows up again later. But um, AP5, who's the, mm-hmm. you know, Imperial uh, inventory droid, I think, yeah. right? Who basically gets turned by Chopper and, mm-hmm. and is like, oh, why am I working for the Imperial Empire, you know? And and um, I just I just really enjoyed that, like, droid episode. And I, yeah. I often do. And I, I liked that, like, Chopper made a droid friend. And, um, wait, was that the episode? That's the episode where Chopper, like, gets a new leg, right? I think so, That's, yeah. like, the plot, which I also enjoyed. Um, Chopper is, it's funny to me that I don't have any Chopper moments. Because yeah. it, it, it was so hard to lower it to top ten. If I was doing only ten moments from Rebels, a couple of them would be Chopper, absolutely. He's yeah. just such a fun character. Um, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um I th- at first I was going to say that I thought he was um, voiced by D. Bradley Baker, but I think I think actually he's Dave Filoni. Who does Chopper? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of great um, Chopper moments, and um, that was you know that was one of the ones that definitely um, uh, was was the. Kind of not. I, I feel like him having. Yeah, I don't think it's Dave Filoni. Uh. <laughs> I, I think if I have a favorite Chopper moment, it's when um, basically Londo like pulls a fast one over them and winds up like uh, Kanan loses Chopper in a sub in a game of Sabak to Lando. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for that whole episode, Chopper is just like, nope, not gonna do that. Lando owns me now. <laughs> like he just is so. <laughs> He's such a brat. It's just the best way to describe his character. It's For so sure. Good. For sure. Um, and what was your last moment? So my last moment is uh, the end of the Maul arc, really. Oh, God, yeah. And not not the Maul and Kanan arc. I mean, not the Maul and Ezra, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. But the end of Maul and Kenobi, which yeah. is a payoff of, you know, years in the making, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I thought the best part of The Phantom Menace was the duel at the end, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where Kenobi apparently kills Maul. Turns out it wasn't that simple. Um, apparently, uh, you know, the thirst for vengeance can keep you alive a long time or something like that, even when you lose half your body. But the whole Maul arc through all of... Um, what's it called through all of the clone wars and there's a lot of interactions with kenobi right there's so much mm-hmm. stuff going on and then they reintroduce maul here they have him have a whole thing with ezra trying to turn him to the dark side trying to make him his apprentice right and then finally um they like they're like playing with the holocrons or something and then they see you know the planet with two sons and so maul goes there i think intending to kill Luke, probably. I think that's, mm-hmm. like, the goal, right? Or something. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's... It, this is something that is developed over a number of different episodes, but it's, like... 
and, and you you saw in a weird like Clone Clone Wars season seven also had this, where Maul has somehow figured out the plan. Like Maul right. knows what's going to happen, yeah. and he he figures out that Vader is Anakin, and he he yeah. warns Ahsoka of it, and she just one of the most heartbreaking parts of that is that she won't listen, and he's right. Yeah, and then yeah, it's like <clears throat> he basically figures out what's going to happen, and is like, I need to kill Luke. Um, it's it's not exactly clear what he wants, but right. it's so it maybe it's he's going to kidnap he's, him and try and turn him or something. It, it, to to me, it's mostly just like at this point he's been a, he he lost his brother. He's been abandoned by Palpatine. He's been abandoned by Dooku. He never really had Dooku, but like he was a but like he just he has no one left. And in some ways, it's that like you know his connection to Obi Wan is like the most important relationship in his life. Yeah, and they're like. Always fighting. Yeah. But, like, they, you know, it's it's just such a... It's, again, it's an enemies to not even friends because he does kill him. But, like, Kenobi has so much respect for him and, like, holds him while he's dying. And yeah. It's it's enemy... It's meaningful enemies, right? It's, like... Yeah. There's meaning there beyond just the conflict. And, um, and that fight scene, which is... It's a very brief duel, right? Yeah. The choreography is so it references so many things, right? And I think he mm-hmm. ends up you know, he does the he's got like a certain stance, then he's got the classic Obi-Wan stance, and then he goes to I think what Qui-Gon did, right? In yeah. the first one and kind of cuz he knows what Maul's going to do against that. But right. then yeah, he has he, a counter. Yeah, Maul uses the same move that he used against Qui-Gon, but Obi-Wan's ready for it. Right, exactly. And um, yeah, and I, I just, I, it, the way it's shot, you know, it's at night in the desert and, you know, they all, all lit up by the glow of lightsabers. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's, to me, it's a really great cap to the, the story of like Maul and Kenobi, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I will, th- this one, I don't think is actually in the story the way I do think that you could read Zeb and Kit. Callus, um, but I will say that that's an episode that launched a thousand fan fictions. Right, right. <laughs> there's a lot of no people doubt, no who doubt. want to see that as enemies to lovers, and I think like Obi Wan flirts with people he's fighting a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, some yeah. of the interactions with him and Maul are definitely there. They're definitely there with him in, when him and Ventress are fighting. Like, at one point in the book Dark Disciple, this is fairly early on. Forgive me for spoilers of just one little conversation, but I think I've told you this before, Paul. Um, with your permission, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Um, and Obi-Wan is telling someone how to get close to Ventress. And he, like, says, you know, like, you know, it's important. Banter is important. You know, like, yeah. when we were fighting, we would do this kind of – and the guy, like, says, did you flirt with her while you were fighting? And Obi-Wan's <laughs> like, well, yeah, kind of. Like, Yeah. It's – so, like, the word flirting is funny because, like, I, I feel like in the generally accepted interpretation – there mm-hmm. is like a certain sort of like sexual or romantic connotation, but at the same time, like I, th- I think, you know, the the things that you're talking about are also like there's like a playfulness, you know. Yeah, I think that's more like I don't think Obi Wan is attracted to either of them, right? Um, in and, that way, but I think that it's a it's a playfulness that has that kind of energy to it. So. Yeah, yeah, and that honestly that resonates with me, like. Um, just like from having fought my friends a lot 
in Taekwondo, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but also other games like that, that happens in poker, you know, it happens, yeah. it can happen in chess, like, like any kind of game, there can be a sort of a banter and, and a playfulness and, um, and it, you know, it's interesting when it's like you're in a life or death duel or usually yeah. that most of them are draws, you know, but. <laughs> and, and some of it with, uh, Ventrist is suggestive. Sure. Like I think some yeah, of that yeah. does. In a way, it doesn't necessarily with Maul, but right. yeah, it's but yeah, it's, it's it's all playful. So I think that's about where we can wrap up in terms of animated moments. We've uh, gone a good long while. Is there other kind of last comments or last moments you wanted to mention? No, we uh, we covered everything I had written down, and I mean, there's there's so many great moments throughout the hundreds of episodes of mm-hmm. of uh, animated series that that exist. Um, I don't think either of us really watched Resistance. I was, right? was going to say, I do think it's noteworthy that we had nothing from Resistance because none, neither of us really watched it. I watched a couple of episodes. Yeah. I think you watched one or two. Um, and, like, I don't I don't want to slam on Resistance. I know it has its people who like it. Mm-hmm. There's been this trend on TikTok recently of people ranking their seven their, – their favorite – sorry. There's been this – there's been this trend on TikTok recently of people ranking all the different Star Wars TV shows, both mm. animated and non. And we talk a lot about how divided Star Wars fandom can be. Like you mentioned, some of these movies are going to get very strong opinions that very much disagree with each other. As far as I can tell, the one thing that all Star or I want to say all, but the one thing that the overwhelming majority of Star Wars fans agree on is that Resistance is their least favorite show or they just haven't seen it. Yeah. And like... I think it's hilarious. It's, I think if you list, if you didn't watch animation, but you listen to people talk about animation, I think it'd be very easy to forget that Resistance exists. Right. Like, like and, it's... and in some ways it should be really interesting because it sets up the First Order. And I think part of it may be kind of people not loving the sequels, and part of it is that it is aimed at a younger audience than I think Rebels mm. was, more to like what Clone Wars was early on, mm-hmm. as far as I understand. And again, it has its lovers, but I, I do think it's kind of hilarious that like, it is almost you and I got through this entire episode without ever mentioning it, right? And it is very often forgotten by. I, I think if you asked, if we hadn't brought it up, I think a lot of people just either never doesn't know or would have just completely forgotten that resistance exists. Yeah, like there's some other thing I think that has like these like ten minute shorts or something that I watched one of, and I was kind of like, eh. You know, it it just didn't do anything for me. I'm not sure if that is resist. Like, I don't even know what resistance is. Like, it just never. Yeah. And and nobody was like, oh, you definitely should watch this. And like, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll watch yeah. it. Maybe we'll do an episode on it at some point. But like, resistance is about the early days of the resistance and the early yeah. days of the first order. And like, Phasma is a part of it. And like, um, I, I think the thing you're talking. It, very bad animation, but there was another show called Clone Wars, not the. Oh, that's Clone definitely Wars. not. That's definitely not what okay. we're talking about. No, this okay. had like Ray and BB-8. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what that one is. Yeah. So. Yeah, all right. I think it's a good place to wrap up then. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. You suggested this uh, episode first. I think it was a really great thing for us to get into. As always, fans. We want to hear from you. What would be your list? Uh, we'll publish our lists with like, and we'll list the different episodes. Paul is going to have to write it for that. Um, but <laughs> we got to um, actually. Well, we have to post. No, we've got forty hours before we have to post this. So maybe Paul will do it. Who knows? Uh, the best way to not get Paul to do something is to tell him he has to do it. So I probably have like screw the pooch there. But we'll see what can happen. Well, I, anyway, though. I, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went on the whole journey. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, send us your list. Send us what you think of our lists. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on it. Most importantly, as fans, be good to each other. Word. Sentence. Paragraph. Okay, you're not going to say page. Fine. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>